To begin our message today, I want to ask you to think about whether you think there's ever a point where someone is beyond help. Is there ever a point where someone is beyond help? And in particular, what I'm thinking of is someone who commits murder, for example, or someone who bankrupts millions and millions of people, or someone who commits multiple murders, or someone who's responsible for damage to millions of people, someone like Hitler, or someone who commits genocide against a whole group of people or a whole nation. Is there ever a point where someone is beyond help? where we would say we just have to write them off and that's it. And also think it's an interesting question to wonder what goes on in the mind of someone like that as they approach the end of their life. So whether that's because they end up getting executed or whether that's because they just pass away, what goes through their mind as they get towards the end of their life? You wonder whether people feel a sense of shame and guilt for the things that they've done and the hurt that they've caused to other people. You wonder whether people might lash out at other people as a way of reacting and not knowing how to deal with what's going on and so they cause further damage. We know that there are lots of stories of people who in their final moments plead for forgiveness or try to kind of say, oh, I'm really sorry for everything that I've done and try to make up for it in those final moments. The reason why I want to start with those questions is because today we get to peek inside the minds of two convicted criminals who are facing their death sentence. And there are some very fascinating things for us to be able to discover about the ways in which they both respond. So you've got your teaching notes inside of Connect News, so you can feel free to grab those and jot things down as we make our way through today's message. This is the continuation of our final words series where we're taking some time in the lead up to Easter to look at the final words that Jesus spoke on the cross. Uh, Lent is this season where we try to prepare ourselves for what we're going to reflect on and celebrate when we get to Easter weekend. And it's an opportunity for us to really journey with Jesus as we get closer and closer to that weekend. And specifically, we want to wrestle with this series with some of the things that Jesus said in those final moments and to be able to see that some of the most profound things that Jesus said actually come in these final moments. And today, the word that we're going to focus on, as Dave said earlier, is the word rescued. So a little bit of background about how we kind of end up where we are, and we talked about this last week, so if you weren't here last week, you can feel free to go back and have a listen or a watch of last week's message. Uh, But in the hours that have preceded what we're looking at today, Jesus has had his final meal with his friends, uh, what we call the Last Supper with his disciples, where he's taken the time to explain to them about what's going to happen and to share some final thoughts with them and to leave us with this amazing gift that we now call communion. He's then been betrayed by Judas, one of his close friends, and then he's been arrested. And uh, in the process of being arrested, Peter, probably his closest friend, turns his back on Jesus and says, I have never known this man whatsoever. Jesus is taken to a council of the Jewish leaders where he's put in front of this mock trial that really isn't fair whatsoever. And uh, through that, they say that he's guilty. And so they take him to Pilate, who is the Roman governor. And Pilate really struggles to see that there's anything wrong that Jesus has done. And so Pilate sends him to Herod, the king of the area. And Herod just wants Jesus to entertain him and to do some party tricks. And when Jesus doesn't do that, he sends him back to Pilate. 
Pilate continues to say, well, I'm not sure what you want me to do. And so he has Jesus whipped. And in the process of that, the Roman soldiers all pile on Jesus and mock him and put the crown of thorns on his head and uh, spend a lot of time uh, teasing him in all sorts of different ways. After that happens, Pilate gives the crowd the opportunity to be able to set Jesus free, to say, well, I haven't seen that this man's done anything wrong, and now is an opportunity for you to release one of the convicted criminals. And so you have Jesus, and you have this other man, Barabbas. Who do you want to set free? And the crowd who earlier in the week had crowned Jesus as their king and greeted him with shouts of praise, turn on him and say that they want Jesus executed and they want Barabbas set free. And so Jesus is then sent to his crucifixion. And we mentioned last week that probably the most powerful image for us to be able to work our way through is to think about the image of someone being marched down death row to the electric chair. Because we can be so familiar with the cross that we miss just how graphic and terrible it is that that's what's happening to Jesus in this moment. And so Jesus is then hung on the cross. And last week we looked at the first set of words that Jesus said, summed up with the word forgive. Where the most amazing thing happens that Jesus, after all of that has happened, manages to say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And again, if you weren't here last week, you might want to go back and have a listen to that or a watch of that. And so we pick up today exactly where we finished last week. Luke chapter 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who was hanging beside Jesus scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. So just a reminder that Jesus is executed next to two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And so one of them, we'll say it's the one that was on his right, says this to Jesus. And this is where, again, we want to try and say, well, what must be going through the mind of this man to say the words that he says to Jesus? Why would he choose to join in the mockery? Is he just getting swept up with the crowd the same as a whole bunch of other people are getting swept up with the crowd? Is there a sense of sarcasm that we could read into his words? Come on then, Messiah. If you are the Messiah, that means you're the rescuer. So how about you start doing some rescuing? Rescue yourself and then rescue us while you're at it. Is there that sense of guilt and shame that he's going through? I know what I've done. And from what I've heard, this guy is probably innocent, but I'm not really sure what to say. So I'll just say this as some way of kind of breaking the ice. It's interesting to think about what was going through his mind as he says these words. But even more powerfully, how must Jesus have felt as this man says these words to him? How would you have felt if you heard this? Seriously? After everything that I've just been through? After all the mockery that's going on now, this guy is joining in the jeers and the mockery? Seriously? Again, remember what we looked at last week, that this comes immediately after Jesus has just said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. How frustrating must that be, to offer forgiveness, to do this massively sacrificial act. And the next thing that you hear is this guy showering more mockery on you. Would you be angry? Are you kidding me? Like, seriously, what more needs to happen to me? Or is there just this overwhelming sense of grief for Jesus? What was the point of any of this? Like, what's the point of anything that I've done? 
What's the point of offering forgiveness to these people? Look at how people are responding to this. What on earth is the point of all of this? But what we are reminded of because of the words that this man speaks is that in the midst of everything that Jesus is going through in this moment, he had all the power of God at his disposal. The words that this man says are actually true. That Jesus, if he had chosen to, was able to save himself and was able to save the others. There are all sorts of ways that he could have called on God's power to let himself down from the cross. If you've been following along with our Lent reading plan and reading through the book of Luke, you would have seen this week some of the amazing things that Jesus was able to do. Healing people, casting out demons, raising people from the dead. We know how much power Jesus had and he didn't lose any of that in his final moments, but he chose not to use it, which is staggering in itself. So what about the other guy on his left? Verse 40. The other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So this guy, first of all, kind of looks past Jesus to the guy that's over the other side and says, don't you fear God? Like even when we've been sentenced to die, we deserve what we're getting. We deserve the punishment that we're going through. Why are you taking it out on him? Aren't you just trying to sort yourself out? Like leave him alone. What's going on with you? And it's clear that this man seems to understand that Jesus is innocent, that he hasn't done anything wrong and that he doesn't deserve to be here. We don't know the full context of that, but we can wonder whether maybe this was someone who had been around Jesus when he had been teaching or when he had been performing miracles. Maybe he'd stood in the crowd sometimes and heard some of the things that Jesus said. Maybe some of the people that were in his family or his friends had heard some of the things that Jesus had said or maybe had even started to follow Jesus. Regardless, we know that he knows that Jesus is completely innocent and we tap into this deep yearning that he's got where he says, Jesus, take me with you. Take me with you into your kingdom. We know that whenever we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about life the way that God always wanted it to be. Now, when we talk about a kingdom, we understand that the person who is the king of that kingdom sets the tone, sets the values, sets all of the things that people experience who are under their rule. And so when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he's really saying this is the way that life is experienced when everyone chooses to embrace the way that God wants us to be able to live. And so effectively what this guy is saying is, Jesus, I want to experience life the way that it's supposed to be. Take me with you into your kingdom. He can see where this is all going and he wants to be a part of it. And I think in reality, it's the same desire that all of us have. We all have that same yearning for the things of the kingdom. And not just us, but I think all of the people around us yearn for these same things. A sense of peace in our lives. A sense of knowing that we are accepted, that we're embraced and that we belong. A sense of joy, even in the challenging times, a sense of something that goes beyond just happiness. A sense of purpose, a sense of meaning. Being able to experience justice, 
where things are set right, a sense of equality where people are treated equally regardless of where they come from. All of those things are what the kingdom represents. And sometimes it's only in the dark moments that we go through in our lives that we truly understand how much we yearn for and long for those things. It's only when those things aren't present that we realise just how badly we want them. And this past year, I think, has exposed some of our yearnings in deeper and deeper ways as we've navigated our way through the challenges that we've faced. And I wonder whether there is actually a deeper sense of longing for the kingdom in our lives, but even more than that, in the lives of the people that are around us, our neighbours, our friends, the people that we work with, go to school with, go to uni with, the people that are a part of our extended families. I wonder whether the things that we've gone through in the last year, the challenges that we've experienced, has unearthed this deeper yearning for the kingdom, even though they may not use the same words that we would. That's the yearning that this man is saying in his final moments as he hangs next to Jesus. But what's really staggering is Jesus' reply to this man. Verse 43, Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, there's a whole lot to unpack in just these very few words. This is really staggering, what Jesus says and the implications of what Jesus says here. First of all, we want to recognise that the criminal hasn't actually done anything significant in terms of turning away from his bad ways. He hasn't made a big confession and said, I'm really sorry for all of the things that I've done and I know that I need forgiveness. He hasn't said any words along those lines. He hasn't prayed any prayers or said anything specific to God about, please God, forgive me for the things that I've done. He hasn't made any declaration, Jesus, I want to choose to follow you and to put my trust in you. He hasn't gone through any of the rituals that we sometimes focus on, like baptism. He hasn't had a chance to be able to do all of that. And yet Jesus seems to accept him fully, even though he hasn't done a lot of the things that we often say are important steps for people to take. This is really encouraging to us because it reminds us that Jesus sees into our hearts. Jesus knows what our motivations are. Jesus knows the deep yearnings that we have inside of us, what's really going on for us. And all he really wants is for us to believe in him, to trust him, to have faith in him. That's what it requires for us to be able to experience what Jesus wants to offer. And I take a lot of comfort from that because there's lots of questions. I don't know whether you wrestle with these questions as well about people who, what if someone never gets to hear the message of Jesus? What if someone grows up in another country where they never talk about Jesus or where they never talk about Jesus in a positive way? What about someone who grows up in a family where their experience of church is super negative and so they never really get to experience Jesus in any way? What happens to those people? These words that Jesus speak give us a sense of comfort to be able to say Jesus knows what's going on in people's hearts. Jesus knows what people's desires are, what people's yearnings are, and he honours those things. But Jesus also says, today you will be with me in paradise. And this is really fascinating because remember where we're at. 
This is Jesus' crucifixion, what we focus on on Good Friday. The resurrection hasn't happened yet, and it's not going to happen for a couple more days. And yet Jesus says to this man, today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say in a few days, once I raise from the dead. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. This helps us to understand that our transition from this life into the next happens the moment that we pass away. That it's not something that we have to wait for, it's something that is instantaneous. That when we pass away from this life, we step immediately into the life that God has for us. We step into paradise. And it's fascinating that that is the word that gets used here, because the word paradise is actually the word garden. This is a word that was commonly used to talk about a royal garden. It's the same word that was used in Genesis to talk about the Garden of Eden that God created, and it's the same word that's actually used in Revelation to talk about the garden that's going to be there at the end of all time. Jesus is saying, today you will get to step into the royal garden. And for me, it's a helpful way of being able to pull all these things together, to say this idea of the kingdom. When we think about the kingdom, we can think about the idea of being able to go into a royal garden. The gardens that are surrounding a castle where it's peaceful, where things are in harmony, where there's a sense of life being able to happen. You can imagine having a picnic, sitting on the lawns, being able to just enjoy life. That's the picture that Jesus gives us. But remember who he's talking to. Jesus says, today, you, even though you're a convicted criminal who's been sentenced to die, you will be with me experiencing life the way that God always wanted it to be. So pulling this all together, our focus for this week is on this key word of rescued. And so it's helpful for us to just wrestle with what are we rescued from and what are we rescued for? And I think it's helpful to use the word rescued more than the word saved because depending on what church circles you've grown up in, for many of us, the word saved has been used in the context of are you saved, have you been saved, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And so there's all of this added meaning and added baggage that can be attached to the word saved. When we talk about rescued, it helps to purify that and simplify it down a little bit to say, oh, okay, so saved means rescued, so what are we rescued from? And again, it's useful to step back into these two people who are with Jesus in these final moments. The first criminal, what's he saying that he wants to be rescued from? Well, he's really just saying, rescue me from this situation that I'm in right now. Stop the pain that I'm going through. Stop this bad circumstance and fix that so that I don't have to go through this anymore. His rescue that he's craving is very, very simple. It's in this moment right now. Stop this. From happening. But the second criminal is tapping into something much, much deeper in terms of what rescue looks like. What he's really saying is, Jesus, rescue me from my selfish ways. Rescue me from living a life that doesn't seem to have any purpose or any meaning. Rescue me from missing out on the opportunity to be able to experience life the way that it's supposed to be. And in particular, rescue me from an eternity of not being able to experience those things. And so when we talk about this idea of being rescued or saved, we are really saying that Jesus chooses to rescue us from all of the things that get in the way of us being able to experience the kingdom. 
So Jesus rescues us from all the things that stop us experiencing life the way that God has always wanted it to be. So selfishness, pride, anger, lust, greed, all of these things that get in the way of us experiencing what the kingdom is supposed to be about. Jesus comes along to rescue us from all of those things. But he doesn't just set us neutral. He rescues us so that we can then experience the positives that come from all of that, that we can experience everything that the kingdom has got to offer. But the challenge for us is to say, do we have to get everything right in order to experience this rescue? Do we have to make up for all of the things that we've done wrong? Do we have to show that we're sorry enough for all of the mistakes that we've made? Do we have to prove that we're worthy of this rescue? And this is really the major difference between what Jesus offers and every other belief system. Is that every other belief system is about us needing to do these things in order to receive whatever the rescue is. Christianity and Jesus is the only one who gives us the opportunity to recognise that we don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to try and fix things on our own. We don't have to rescue ourselves because Jesus has done it all for us. And so now all we have to do is to trust in Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to accept the rescue that he's offering us. And when we do that, we have the opportunity to experience the kingdom, to experience life the way that God always wanted us to be able to experience it. So I want to give us a couple of moments to be able to reflect on what that looks like for us. And so we'll use this as a question to spend a couple of moments reflecting on. What does it mean to embrace rescue as we journey towards Easter? As we continue to make our way through Lent, what does it look like for us to embrace this particular word as we head into this week? For some of us, it's about wrestling with what it looks like to accept that Jesus has rescued us. Instead of us trying to prove that we're worthy, instead of us trying to make up for all the times that we mess up, Instead of us trying to rescue ourselves, the challenge for us is to say, it's not about what I do. It's about accepting the rescue that Jesus has offered to me. For some of us, it's about saying, well, what are we rescued from? What are the things that Jesus wants to rescue me from in my life? And specifically, what are the things that are getting in the way of me experiencing the kingdom, life the way that it's supposed to be? Another way of asking that question is what's getting in the way of me experiencing God's peace? And that is one of the questions that we use in our connect groups when we get together. To be able to say, what are the things that are happening in my life that are stopping me experiencing life the way that I know God wants it to be? What are the habits that I've got? What are the attitudes that I continue to embrace? What are the things that I'm doing that I know aren't healthy, that I know aren't God's best, and that I know are dragging me away from what Jesus is offering. For some of us, this week is an opportunity to be able to dig into that a little bit and to say, what does it mean for me to embrace the reality that Jesus wants to rescue me from those things, that he wants me to put those things aside and to embrace his way of life instead? And for some of us, it is about wrestling with what we're rescued for, to recognise that we are not just rescued and set right with God so that we can then just kind of wait our time out. We get our ticket punched to heaven and then we spend the rest of our lives waiting until we finally get to use that ticket. 
to be able to recognise that Jesus' rescue means that today we get to experience the kingdom. In this moment, we get to experience the kingdom this afternoon, the rest of this week, in all the different spaces that we go, when we spend time with other people, when we connect with friends, when we hang out with family, when we go to work, when we volunteer, when we go to school, when we go to uni, all of those are opportunities to be able to experience the kingdom. God is at work around us 100% of the time. But are we willing to stop long enough to embrace the rescue that Jesus has given us and to be able to see that that's right at our fingertips. So I want to give you an opportunity to be able to reflect on that. What does that word rescue mean for you? And what are some of the things that you can process through as we head into another week? Take a couple of moments to reflect on that. You can jot some thoughts down, talk to the person next to you, and we'll come back and pray and transition to communion. Let's pray. Jesus, it is astounding what you're able to do while you're in these final moments. While you're hanging on the cross, going through what you're going through, having been through what you've been through. It's so staggering that you continue to turn your thoughts to other people. That even in the midst of being mocked by people who are hanging next to you, you're able to see into the heart of this other person who's next to you and to see the deepest yearnings and longings that they've got and to be able to reassure them, to be able to say, it's going to be okay. Today you will be with me in paradise. 
You will have the opportunity to experience everything that God has always wanted for you. We're sorry that so often we allow things to get in the way of us being able to experience that and to embrace that in our lives. That we so often get distracted by other things and lose focus on what it is that you're offering us. But more regularly, we just put barriers up between us and you. That we make choices, we embrace habits, we embrace attitudes that stop us from being able to see the glorious kingdom that you have laid out in front of us. But we thank you that you don't hold that against us. But that your words are the same to us. Today, we have the opportunity to be able to experience the kingdom. And so I pray that you would continue to challenge us about that. The ways in which we try to rescue ourselves, the ways in which we try to prove ourselves worthy, the ways in which we try to do what you've already done for us. Those things that we do that stop us from experiencing the kingdom and even just from those moments of not being able to see that you are at work around us all of the time. As we step into this week and as we continue our journey towards Easter, we pray that you would help us to understand how remarkable it is that you have rescued us. In your name we pray. Amen.